Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for bringing us all together again to share and understand, or try to understand, uh, Paul's letters to the Galatians, and eventually Romans. So we ask you to open, help us open our minds and our hearts uh, to really hear what it is you want us to hear out of this. Help us to make sense out of Paul's sometimes uh, long diatribes. So give us the strength and the courage to open our minds and our hearts and set aside cares or preconceived notions. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. I hope that by this time, after all of the readings, and I'm just sure you did all of the readings, uh, that you're beginning to see where Paul's coming from. I hope that it is beginning to make some sense, because it's important that you not only read what is written there and what is presented, but try to connect it with Paul's background and primarily his very forceful and strong preaching. Because if you remember, it's important that he received all of his knowledge and information and so forth directly from the Holy Spirit in those revelations that were uh, mentioned in Second Corinthians, okay? We gave you that reference in the first meeting. Now, if you think that that's unusual, uh, you've got to remember that throughout the Old Testament, there were a number of people, primarily the prophets, and to some degree Abraham, who was, and, and Jacob too, I forgot about that, who was encountered by God himself for specific reasons and for specific messages, whether they were in visions or trances or just inspiration, we don't always know. Uh, again, though, in the book of Revelation, the main character in that, John, and we assume that that is the Apostle John who wrote Revelation, also received a lot of information in visions. So what Paul received when he was in Arabia was not that much different than several other people throughout the Bible. So, But you've got to remember that when Paul speaks out, because it is the force behind his insistence that he is accurate and that he, he is correct. But at the same time, you have to remember that the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not written yet. And therefore, Paul didn't have a lot of that background, all of those stories. But he did know from his encounter with the Holy Spirit in these revelations, uh, he did know the meaning and the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection 
of the Last Supper, because he talks about the Last Supper in one of his other letters rather uh, in detail. Uh, he also learned a great deal about the Trinity, particularly the Holy Spirit. And those kinds of things were the core center of his teaching. He did not get way off into other subjects because they had not been written down yet. And so if you carry that kind of information forward when you're reading Paul, it makes a lot more sense. Now, there's a few other things that we're going to get into, some other details here. Uh, but I want to really emphasize the three main points that are made in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians chapters 3 and 4. All right. I don't want to get into a lot of reading uh, because I hope and assume that you have read all of this information and therefore you're basically uh, familiar with at least the main points. But what I want to get into is the importance of really understanding what these are and how they affect you today. Because if you don't take what you've learned about what happened 2,000 years ago and bring it forward to today, then all you're doing is reading history. And I am sure that that's not what you're in here for. You want to really understand, or I hope you want to understand, how that affects you individually today as a Catholic Christian. All right? So, that is what we're going to do. Now, the first main subject here is faith, as Paul, as Paul presents it. Right now, if I asked each of you to do a pay, I won't do this, but <laughs> if I, no surprises uh, in, in this class here, you know, uh, but if I asked you to write out uh, in detail what is your faith, and what is it based on? And you didn't write what you think I want to hear or read, which a lot of people do, I know that, after teaching all these years. Uh, if you're true to yourself, and I would like to have you try this at home, write out what is your con concept of your faith, today. Because when Paul talks about faith, and that has to precede justification, and we have to kind of think of, who is he talking to? He's talking to primarily non-Jewish people, all right? Uh, we can call them Gentiles in general. And that's fine. Uh, that's the way the Jewish people signify it. Uh, anyone that wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. So these are a number of people in uh, the Galatian ter <coughs> territory, which is now uh, Turkey, the country of Turkey. All right. So they were not Jewish people. They were not brought up with the, the understanding of all of the history of the Jewish people from the time of Abraham. And 
as you read Paul, or at least as I read Paul, uh, I can see that sometimes he gets a little um, away from, who is he writing to? But I'm getting ahead of the story, because when we get into some of this, you'll get what I'm trying to get at. It's bad grammar, but you know what I mean. Uh, okay. Faith. Faith, according to Paul, simply rests on the merits and the benefits of who Jesus Christ was, is, and will always be, and his life, death, and resurrection. Now, these people were not religious people, but they were religious-minded. Remember, in those days, they didn't have a lot of great interests. So, an interest in religion in itself, or belonging to something in itself, was important to them. They were very clannish people, and therefore, they liked the idea of belonging to something. So, when a new idea comes along, it is considered, absorbed, and lived out very uh, sincerely. And that word is very important to all of us when we talk about faith. So, when Paul presents the story of who Jesus Christ is, and why he came to earth in the first place, and suffered death and resurrection, and gave us his body and blood uh, as a memorial offering. It was important to them that they fully understand this. And he spent a lot of time with each of the little church groups that he founded. So, what is faith, according to Paul? Why did he come? Why did Jesus come to earth? It was to save us, but it was also to reveal to us who the Father was. And what was important to him was the word and the meaning of love. Now, when we say love in today in today's society, the word love is so adulterated that it's almost embarrassing to talk about because the first thing most young people today, anyways, think about of love is sex. Now, that can be part of it, but that is not the primary um, ingredient, you might say, in the way Paul speaks of it. Paul is talking about the love, the unconditional, overriding divine love that emanates from God himself, because God is love. And love never dies. The true love never dies. It is always there, always ready to embrace the beloved. And his creation was the beloved. As we've said before, and I'm digressing a little because it's important to understand Paul's meaning of love. And if you want to read more, go into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Uh, I won't do that because I'm sure that you've all heard of it, but uh, it doesn't hurt to go back. But the whole idea of Paul's love is this unconditional love that is always there waiting to be absorbed by the beloved, that is man's creation. We often talk about God not having any needs. God is totally omnipotent, all-knowing, all-seeing, and always being there. Uh, So having no needs. But I always say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not right. He has one need. And, you know, the nuns used to look up at me, oh, you know, uh, what do you mean? Love needs to be shared. Love cannot be bottled up and held, you know, within. Love needs to be shared. And therefore, God needed to create mankind. He needed to create somebody or something that could respond to his love and return his love so that it is constantly moving. Uh, For those of you who uh, are engineers or electricians, you know that alternating electricity cannot be stopped. If it is stopped, you get all kinds of sparks and everything goes haywire. Okay? Uh, Love is like alternating electricity. It must be kept moving. And we're talking about love in the biblical sense, which the first primary ingredient is recognizing the dignity of the individual, all right? That is respect for the individual, uh, or individuals, plural. Love needs to be uh, cognizant of the fact that each of us is equal in the eyes of God, irrespective of of, uh, what we may have done or will do. uh, But we are all equal in the eyes of God because we were all made by God's love out of nothing. All right? Uh, Then there is the other ingredients of love that is help and forgiveness and All of the other things, in fact, I will bring a schedule or a little diagram next week. I was going to do it this week and totally forgot because of other reasons. Anyways, so when Paul is talking about the purpose of God's coming, it was to share his love. Now, the Jewish people, and we presume those to whom Paul is speaking, didn't... didn't go out of their way, uh, and it was not part of their culture, to open their minds and their hearts uh, and share their love with just anyone and everyone. It was a very um, closed-knit society where everyone sort of kept a protection of themselves. That was part of the culture of the time. Jesus wanted people to open up their minds and hearts so that they could be helpful to each other. Um, Let me give you an example. If you walked into a, a Jewish group of people at the time of Christ, 
they would not just automatically recognize you as a stranger and welcome you in. You would be kind of shunned until you made yourself present and aware of who and what's going on and so forth and so on. Um, for example, uh, Jewish people did not share their name with others. They did not open their minds and their hearts to others. It was, excuse me, just a moment. There are some chairs in right behind you there in the closet if you would care to get those out. I'm sorry. I, So the point, the point I'm making here is one of the first things that uh, Paul is trying to get across as an aspect or an ingredient of the gift of faith is that Jesus, who was God, and that of course to them was an eye-opener, and it brought a greater interest to the people that he was talking to, wanted them to understand that, first of all, he was not uh, a fearful person, a fearful, fearful God who they had to be afraid of. And therefore, love was very important to them. Okay. And so that opens their mind and, and got them to relax a little bit. And then he talked about the whole idea of salvation, eternal life, which was new, a new concept, not only to the people of Galatia, but to all Jewish people. And you wonder sometimes if Paul is forgetting that he's not talking to, to Jews, he is talking to Gentiles or non-Jewish people, because a lot of the things he talks about refers to Jewish history. You'll see that when we get into the next section, talking about Abraham. But Abraham is important, but I'm getting ahead of the story. The other things that he talked about was, of course, the reason Jesus came was to offer himself up to the Father as a sacrifice. Now, Jesus came to represent all mankind. You, me, the people in the future, and the people in all the past. That's a big offer. But, and it required then a tremendous or an unusual sacrifice. And that was the sacrifice on the cross, which was probably the most cruel um, unimaginable sacrifice that anybody could make. And a lot of people say, well, couldn't he have done it in a little more, a little easier way? Yes, he could have. Being God, he could have done anything. But what he did was, he took the worst of the worst. And it was done so as showing the people how great 
a love the Father has. And because mankind had no other means or other gift to give to the Father in reparation for all the sins of mankind, God had to give them, give mankind, something that was perfect and divine. Equal to God. And the only thing that was equal to God was God himself. And that is why he, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to represent not only God, but he's representing all mankind in this offering back to God. Mankind had nothing that it could offer of itself in order to make reparation for his sin, mankind in general, all right? God knew this right up in the beginning, even before he created. And therefore, the only thing he could do was to provide something that was perfect, that was divine, that was equal to him, to be offered back. And that was himself. And therefore, he, becoming man, had to go through a sacrifice that was the worst of the worst in order to satisfy and rectify the sins of all mankind, starting all the way back with Adam and Eve. What he is doing, what Paul is doing, is offering this to a brand new audience, people who have never heard this kind of thing before. And therefore, it was very intriguing to them. And the Holy Spirit is working on them, all right, to open their minds and their hearts. He also talked about how Paul, uh, Christ offered his own body and blood not only to the Father on the cross, but he offers it to all mankind through the sacrifice of the Mass. Okay. Now, of course, the Mass to those people at that time was simply the breaking of the bread ceremony and the words that we hear today, this is my body, take it and eat, and this is my blood, take it and drink. All right. That was all they had in the beginning. Over a period of time, we had preparation prayers offered. We had uh, penitential prayers offered and singing and so forth and so on. And that became uh, what we call our Mass today or the uh, sacri uh, sacrifice of the Eucharist, uh, celebration of the Eucharist, I should say. Uh, as a digression, though, the church is trying to get away from the use of the word mass because it in itself has no meaning. Uh, they're trying to get people to call it the celebration of the Eucharist. Okay. And that you'll see here more and more. Um, There's no big deal one way or the other, uh, but it is something that the church is moving towards. Paul also talked to these people about 
the Holy Trinity, particularly the Holy Spirit, because it is the Spirit who works now uh, through through us and is giving us the graces that are necessary to help us to see what our particular role is in God's plan of salvation. Remember in the little diagram that you have in your original handout, You go back to the second last page of your original handout. You'll see this diagram here. This is something that's very important, I think, to indicate not only the idea that there is one God, but within that one God are three divine persons. The Father whose time and role was from creation through the Jewish period of time. Then the time and role of Christ, which included the epitome or the the climax of God's plan of salvation, that is the death and resurrection of Christ himself. And then what has happened is then the Holy Spirit comes in to play and takes the benefits of both what the Father and the Son did and accomplished and helps it helps us to absorb that, understand it, live by it, and then eventually return to the Father. That's the whole purpose of the Trinity. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. And that is what Paul is trying to teach as part of his overall offering to these people in Galatia. And they absorbed it. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was working overtime in that area to help these people understand and to get this church going. And he did. Now, yes, ma'am. No. God. No. 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 And even afterwards, that is not what they were looking for in terms of a Messiah. They wanted somebody who was like a knight in shining armor and would help them get rid of the Romans. That was all they were concerned with. And when that didn't happen, the whole idea of a Messiah has died out. In the Jewish faith today, they don't mention it. No. No. Okay. Um, any other questions right now? Did the, the concept of the Trinity was ratified at the Council of Nicaea? Yes. Okay. But before that, I suppose there was a great deal of discussion about 
a theologian who Yes, very much so. In fact, the Council of Nicaea, which was in 325 A.D., of course, was primarily to put down the heresies that grew up. And that's somewhat understandable. In the early days of the church, there were a number of heresies because a lot of people did not believe in the Trinity and other aspects of what we're talking about right now. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people would follow a given person, Arian for one, uh, and Arianism was one of those heresies that uh, was uh, put down by the Council of Nicaea, uh, and again ratified by the Council of uh, Chalcedon in 420, 425, I think it is. Uh, and there were a number of others. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the faith that Paul is talking about is the same faith that we should be thinking about today. Our faith should be grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. If it isn't, then you've got to kind of think about and question your own faith. Because if you don't believe those things, then you are really not a Catholic or a Christian. The whole idea of being a Christian, and that came from St. Irenaeus uh, back in about the latter part of the second century, because we are a follower of Christ. And if we are a follower of Christ, we've got to understand who Christ was for us as individuals. And it, it's important that you spend some time trying to really figure out where do you stand with all of those beliefs? Not only his coming to earth, his part of being God himself, why he came to earth, why he came as a child rather than a knight in shining armor. Uh, if he did, people wouldn't have accepted him. That wasn't, they wanted that, but if he didn't have any background, he wouldn't have been accepted because that is the way they looked at Jesus Christ. They said, this man teaches with authority, but where did he get that authority? In fact, Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 7, ends with that. It says something, and I'm paraphrasing, says the people did not ask any more questions. They were spellbound because he taught with authority. And the meaning of that in Matthew's Gospel is that he taught without any authority of anyone else, any other background, like Paul claims and rightly so, that he was taught by Gamaliel. Uh, now, Gamaliel was a Pharisee in Jerusalem who was well known as a scholar, a teacher, and so forth. And therefore, Paul had some credibility among his own people because he was taught by Gamaliel. But Jesus couldn't say that and didn't need to say that because he was God. 
But because he didn't, the culture in that time would not accept what he said. And therefore he was put down by the educated people. He was absorbed and followed and loved by the less educated people, you might say, uh, because he told them what they wanted to hear and it gave them hope. And the same thing now with Paul. When he's teaching to these non-Jewish people, it gives them hope and it gives them something to believe in and something to look forward that is beyond life itself. Death and resurrection of mankind and returning to the Father gave them hope and gave them a purpose. Because up till this time, if they thought all there was was you live so many years and then you die and that's it, that seems to be kind of a blunt, uh, you know, nothing to look forward to life. Yet now with the whole idea of returning to the Father eventually, if we live according to what Jesus is teaching us, and the church follows what Jesus is teaching us, if we live by that, then we have something to look forward to. We have hope, and death isn't this uh, fateful and ending of all things as it would otherwise be. Okay. What is important is that, as we have said before, you, as individuals today, really have to understand where you are in relationship to Christ and who he was and what he was teaching. So many people, over a period of time, I've learned that so many people have really never given that a lot of thought. You know, they were born into a Catholic family, they were baptized, they were led to Catholic schools, but they never really stopped to think of what is their personal relationship with Christ. So, again, I ask you to take, I challenge you really, to take some time, sit down, seriously think about what is your particular role, what is your thinking about who Christ is for you. Any questions on that subject? Yes, Jose. Everybody wants to go to heaven. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Not not because they don't want to, but because they don't know, they don't understand, or they don't believe. You know, half of the Jewish people in the world today uh, have, you know, I'm a great number, yes. All right. Thank you. Uh, do not believe in life after death. And a lot of other people don't believe in a life after death. Partly because they've never given it serious thought. 
partly because they've never done anything to explore why certain people do believe. So you can't say that everyone wants to go to heaven. No. Unfortunately, that's more out of, well, I hate to use the word ignorance, but they're more out of a lack of understanding. All right? But thank God, we as Catholics, as Christians, we do believe in a life after death. Now, how do we get there? And that's another thing. How do we get there is justification. Let's talk about... Yes, Dick? Before you go there, Paul is obviously very, 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 very upset. Yes. But I was getting the thought that he was upset only because of the circumcision issue. Were the Galatians moving away from Christ? Yes. Good point. These so-called teachers, which is the word the book uses, or influencers, uh, other books call them Judaizers, these are Jewish converts to Christianity from Jerusalem. Now, you got to remember that the area around Jerusalem was ultra-conservative ultra at that time. As you went further out in the Roman Empire and even in Israel, uh, people were a little more relaxed, okay, because there were other influences that caused that. Paul is very insistent. Well, I lost my train of thought. That's how it is when you get old. Um, help me, help me. Well, the circumcision issue oh, all right. All right. moving away from Christ. Yes. But not only were they talking about what these, these so-called uh, troubleshooters, troublemakers, were saying that they had to be circumcised, but they had to go through many of the rituals and, in in a sense, become Jews before they could become Christians. And he's talking to those people who are not Jewish. They created a lot of problems. And in a way you can understand, because they put substance to what Paul had already talked about. Wrong substance, but nevertheless... The people, the non-Jewish people that Paul had converted earlier thought, this is great. You know, this whole idea of Christianity is great. But there must be more to it that affects us here on earth. It can't be just a, a mental thing or a heart thing. It's got to be, there's got to be something else. So when these troublemakers came from uh, Jerusalem and said that they had to First of all, be circumcised, that is the men, of course, uh, and they had to go and observe the Jewish dietary laws and the festival laws and so forth and so on. That put a little more substance to what Paul was saying. But Paul is saying, that is wrong. You're moving backward into a faith that was leading nowhere. Yes, Wasn't this quite a bit like what we see today? If you think salvation 
on your trip to heaven is believing in good things. Well, you know, Gandhi had good things. Uh, the Dalai Lama today, he has good teachings. But it's not the teachings. It's the faith in Jesus Christ that he was God. He came, he died, and now that we believe that, now let's go see what he taught. Yep. Yeah, that's, you're right. That's a very good point and a way of, good way of putting it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it is important that we understand and accept what Christ did. Yes, ma'am. Now, the Galatians were originally Jews, but Paul was. Did Paul abandon some of his Jewish practices and celebrating Passover and Hanukkah and the dietary rules? Uh, essentially, yes, but not for those reasons. Okay? Uh, he, and the word, you used the word abandon or give up. Uh, no. What he did is move on. Okay? He said, in a sense, Judaism was right up to a point. But they were moving in the wrong direction. He's talking about the elemental powers. Did anybody run into that in the reading of chapter 3? And it, it leaves you a little puzzled as to what elemental powers were. All right. The Jewish people, uh, their religious calendar, remember we talked about calendars before. Their calendar was based on the lunar calendar. And over a period of time, uh, their religious holy days or holidays, both, uh, were based on the lunar calendar and would happen on certain times when uh, lunar eclipses would happen or other lunar events would happen. And over a period of time, they began to worship the heavenly host, you might say, that is, the sun and the moon and the stars and other natural elements such as earth, wind, and fire, earth, wind, fire, and water. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those are the elemental powers. Now, as we talked about when we were discussing and studying um, the prophet Isaiah, there was a lot of idol worship and idolatry going on at the same time, and that was being carried forward. And Judaism was moving in the wrong direction. And so Paul is saying that those things are no longer necessary. Once you've accepted the teachings and the life, death, and resurrection as something that was intended for you as a person, you individually then all of those rules and regulations can be narrowed down to two. Love of God and love of neighbor. So, yes, he moved away from Judaism, uh, not so much abandoned it, but uh, moved, it, moved away from it because it had no longer been sufficient. Christ himself says, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And Paul is picking up on those same words and moving on. 
because Christ fulfilled the necessary elements of the Old Testament, but not all of the things that mankind had added on since the time of Abraham or Moses. But justification, Paul uses that, and that's probably the most important issue of his writings in Galatians. And again, it's repeated in Romans. All right, so you will have some uh, duplication there, but for a slightly different reason, because he's talking to an inter- entirely different audience in Romans. Okay, Justification or righteousness, let's clear that up right away. They are exactly the same word or the same meaning. One comes from uh, a Jewish Hebrew translation. The other one comes from a Greek Latin translation. Okay. But they are the same, they have the same meaning. Justification and righteousness. Justification does not have the same meaning today uh, as it did at Paul's time. Or let's say it has a much lesser meaning today and for a variety of reasons, and I'll get into that hopefully. Paul saying that once you have accepted Christ and understand your role with him, your relation with him, and what he did for you as an individual, then you must start living according to his teachings. And it is the living according to his teachings that is really what justification is all about. Now, what does that mean? Uh, Let me give you a little example. For those of you who went to Mass this morning, you'll be familiar with the Gospel reading here. And it's short, and I'm just going to give you a little uh, piece of it. It says, as they were proceeding, that is, Jesus and his disciples, were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answered him, the foxes have dens, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Now that sounds like a really strange answer, doesn't it? What it is, though, he is repeating the first verse out of Psalm 84. And what happens here is that the Jewish people, now he's talking to other Jews, of course, Jesus is talking to other Jews here. The Jewish people knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards, particularly the Psalms. So when a person would repeat a portion of a psalm or another portion of some other part of the Old Testament, most people would understand immediately where he's coming from. Okay? So when Jesus, when this man says, I will follow you wherever you go, uh, Jesus is saying, I don't have any particular place 
what I want you to do is follow me in what I do and what I say. It goes on to say, and to another he said, follow me. But the person replied, Lord, let me go first to bury my father. Oh, it was a custom there that particularly the first son of a family could not move away from the family as long as the father was living. And then when the father died, the son, the oldest one, uh, inherited the responsibility as, where, as well as whatever estate might be left and picked up having to care for the younger siblings as well as the mother if she were living. And so he is saying, yeah, I'll follow you, but I've got things to do at home and I've got to take care of those first. All right. And Jesus' reply was, it seems rather blunt, but it says, but Jesus answered, let the dead bury their dead. Well, what is meant by that is, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. Okay? Does that change the understanding? Because what he's saying here is, if you can't leave things behind and come follow me now, and you've got to take care of things, that means you have, do not have the faith and the spirit. And neither do the rest of your family. And therefore, the let the spiritually dead bury the dead. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to my family at home. In other words, another excuse. And that's what this whole point is. They're making excuses not to follow Christ uh, to the letter of the law. And that has to be taken into consideration too. But Christ promises that if we follow him to the letter of the law, the law of love of God and love of neighbor, not all those 16 or 613 Jewish laws, but if we follow him to that kind of love, then everything else will follow in place. Now, he is recognizing that everybody has other earthly responsibilities, and he's not ignoring that. He's not saying that, oh, those aren't important and you don't have to take care of those, just come and follow me. Well, you know, you'd get uh, how many billion people in this world are, are walking behind God and nobody's taking care of the grocery stores and the you know, airplanes and the trains, etc. No, 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 no. He recognizes that. What he's saying is that you've got to put his relationship with you first in your mind and in your heart and then you tailor everything else to fit that. And he will help you. Let me give you another little example. I don't like to talk about myself, but this happened to me just uh, Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night, I was expecting overnight guests uh, for the weekend. And what happens? My garbage disposal goes out. Water all over the floor, you know. 
because the dishwasher empties through the garbage disposal, etc. You see, I thought, oh, you know, that's all I need after uh, uh, the things that I've had to take care of in order to get ready for having house guests for a couple of days. So I cleaned up the water and shut everything off and went to bed and said, Lord, help me take care of this. And I don't do it just as a way of easing my conscience. I expect God to help me. All right? Don't know how. He's not going to come up with a send a plumber at midnight or anything, you know. <laughs> but I leave it up to him. I expect some help. Okay. So what happens? I can't use the dishwasher the next day or the garbage disposal, but I can use the other side of the sink. So, it, you know, it's not totally uh, a waste, but nevertheless. So my son comes. And he said, ah, no worry, I'll take care of it. So we went down to Home Depot and got a new garbage disposal. And then he had trouble putting it in. <laughs> And because I, I had gone through this once before years ago, and I thought, uh-uh, that's not as easy as it looks. Uh, so he was having a little bit of trouble, and I started praying, Lord, help me. He got it in. We turned the water on. It worked perfect. Yeah, all the way through. And for the next couple of days, believe me, I, you know, I watched it very carefully. <laughs> The Lord did a good job. <laughs> but you see, you know, now don't go out and buy a lottery ticket and say, Lord, help me. You know? <laughs> it's important that you not only believe in Christ and believe what he did for you, but to pattern your life after all of that, in accordance with his teachings. That's what justification is. And that's the point Paul was making to these non-Jewish people. Once you live according to the teachings of Christ, primarily love of God and love of neighbor, which was kind of foreign to them, then everything else is going to fall into its proper place. It may not seem like it, Every single time. But nevertheless, that's what justification was all about. Now, in today's world, when you and I say, well, we are Catholics, we believe in what Christ taught, what is justification today? Well, we can get off of the road to the throne of Christ very easily by all of our you know, modern electronic devices. You see people walking down the streets who wonder they don't walk into a lamppost or whatever because they've got their heads glued to uh, you know, a smartphone or whatever you call them. Um, and of course the television uh, in some homes uh, is going virtually 24 hours a day. Um, those things can get us off track very easily. Um, a lot of sports 
particularly on Sunday, can divert us from going to church very easily. So, justification to us today, we have to be careful because it's just as important for us, probably more important for us today because there's far more distractions than there was at Paul's time. But the whole idea is, are we on the right road to the foot of Christ? Now, along the road, we might find a few crosses because that's the way that crucifixions happen and for a purpose. You don't cross those Romans back in, you know, in the first century A.D. or before that because if you do, you'll get hung up on the cross uh, which was along the main streets so people could see what was being done. That's a big no-no. Today we don't have that kind of thing, but your mind and your heart will tell you what you did wrong. Yes, June? That's right. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. June talks about, and of course, we mention that because when you follow Christ, it has to be according to His will. And one word that most uh, Americans and most Western people in Western Hemisphere do not like is submission. Submission is extremely important. It doesn't mean that you are and it is just about, well, let me let that go for a minute. Uh, it's important that we are submissive to the will of God in everything we do. And how do we know the will of God? And this is something, a subject that I don't talk about enough. But all of this information that we have given you, will not do you any good unless you take it into prayer. You've got to spend time with Christ in prayer on a daily basis. And I don't mean sitting down and praying the rosary. That's good. But that is not exactly the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one-on-one basis, you and Christ. And that can only be done through meditation and you're willing to talk to Christ like I did. Lord, help me fix this, you know, garbage disposal. That is what we're talking about. Or I'm having a problem with my spouse or my children. Help me. What is the best way? Yes, sir. Uh, I remember this passage, but I cannot say it's in the Bible because I never found it. But it comes directly from Jesus, who said, Why do you call me Lord? Lord, Lord. Do as I say. Amen. Yes. You're right. It's out in Matthew's Gospel. Okay. All right. I can't give you the verse, but 
is something. That's right. We often talk about uh, being good Catholics, good Christians. You hear these politicians uh, that talk about being Catholic, and yet they vote contrary to Catholic teaching. They're not Catholic in name only, but that's not what we want. That's not why we are here. It is not that we want to be Catholic in name only. We want a direct relationship with Christ. And we can only take that when we are sincere and develop it through prayer. So, sincerity, submission, those are the words that really help us today. Yes, Millie? Submission is synonymous to obedience, then. I'm sorry? Submission is synonymous to obedience. Uh, submission is anonymous to... Synonymous. To... Oh, obedience. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I wasn't catching the last word. Obedience. Uh, submission and obedience, right, to the will of God is extremely, extremely important. Yeah. But you've got to understand then, what is the will of God for you? That's where prayer comes in. Because each one of us has got a different role in God's plan of salvation. Um, and how do we know that? All right. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says, I make up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. When I first heard that, I thought, what could be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? What he means is, and you got to kind of always scratch the surface in Paul's words, what he means is that Christ left the door open. God left the door open in his plan of salvation for each one of us to have a small part to play. Each one of us needs to find out what that role is. And it can change over a period of time. Right? But what it is is carried out through the church, through the rest of us. We don't have to deal directly with with God in doing something. He wants us to take that energy that willingness, and give it to someone within the church. Now, we're not talking about money, but that can be part of it. All right. Um, so, each one of us has a role in God's plan of salvation. And when we totally ignore that, we are ignoring the justification that comes through faith. And, in many cases, we are becoming... Uh, captives, and I'm getting into the next section of freedom, we are becoming captives of our hobbies, our work, our sports, whatever it might be. Um, and that can be detrimental to our faith. My children uh, right now are so wrapped up in their children that I ask them, well, when do you have time to pray? Oh, well, I can't do that. I've got football and baseball and a soccer and I've got all of this and that. 
I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to me, you mean to tell me that that's more important than spending some time with God? Well, Dad, you know, so forth and so on. But that is important. You've got to spend time with your relationship with God. If, for those of you who are, are married, if you only spent, uh, you know, a wave of goodbye to your spouse each day and that was all you said, um, or you only communicated at Christmas and Easter, uh, would, would you be uh, married very long? I dare say no. Uh, and it's the same with Christ. It's the same with any loved one. If you truly love them, then you've got to spend a little time with them. And that's all he's asking. He's not asking for all day long. Uh, you know, you can't spend all your day in church. He doesn't want that because spending all your time in church is not doing other things that might be part of your role in God's plan of salvation. So, you, you know, God is really uh, very fair, I think, with what he is asking of us. Let's go into the next section of freedom. Freedom, as Paul was talking about, is that the Jewish law got the people so bound up in laws that they forgot who the laws were intended to worship. And that is still true today. I remember my wife telling me that she lived across the street from uh, a Jewish family, and they were pretty good friends. And because they were not allowed to light the furnace on sun, uh, on the Sabbath day, Saturday, uh, they would come over and they would ask my wife if, or one of her siblings if they would come to their house and light the fire in the wood stove in those days um, because that was against Jewish law. In other words, that's a way of working around the Jewish law. And so they weren't interested in the reasons. They were just interested in the action and how they could work around that so they would get a non-Jewish person to come in and take care of their needs. Now, uh, and that is the kind of uh, binding that Paul is talking about here. They would get so bound up in these laws that they could hardly move. For example, one of the 613 laws is that you could no longer travel uh, any further than it would be from your home to the nearest synagogue or in Jerusalem from your home to the nearest temple. That is as far as you could travel, and it had to be on foot. It could not be any other way. Uh, uh, well, in today's society, uh, how many synagogues are around here? In fact, I only know one in all of Roosevelt. Uh, that could be a little difficult for a lot of Jewish people today, but they would find a way of getting around it. So, I don't think you would want to do that. Uh, okay, especially if 
where it is. All right. Um, what Paul is really saying here is the whole idea of not being concerned about the 613 Jewish laws. They were all right when they began out of the Ten Commandments. Now, Moses did not, let's get this clear, Moses did not write or establish all of those 613 laws. Okay? He established you know, dietary laws when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. Obviously, they had to be, there had to be rules, for example, uh, of hygiene, taking care of themselves, uh, and those became a lot of the hygiene laws. The dietary laws, for example, they were not allowed to eat uh, any blood of any of the animals that they killed because blood contains many impurities which then will uh, be absorbed into the human system and transmit uh, diseases of uh, many animals. They may not hurt the animals, but they would not uh, be very healthy for human beings. Now, of course, that became um, that became the source of a belief of the Jewish people that if you ate the blood of an animal, you would become like that animal. Well, that's not what Moses intended. Moses intended a hygiene uh, rule that made just plain common sense. But over a period of time, the idea of not eating uh, the blood of animals because you become like the animal became a very strong belief. Jesus took that belief and changed it, saying, unless you uh, drink or eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot have spiritual divine life in you. And why? Because he wanted the people to consume his body and blood in order to become like him. Very important. It's kind of the reverse of the other. But freedom is a freedom to love God and love your neighbor without all of this baggage of rules and regulations that go behind it. The love that we have today, or biblical love that is as its meaning and purpose, is really to focus on the idea of love of God and love of neighbor. Um, it has some other aspects, and again, I'll bring a little diagram in for you next week that I have used over the years. Yes, ma'am. Power. Power. Yes. Uh, because they felt that he was preaching. See, 
Paul was a Jew, a strict Jew. He was a great Pharisee. He boasted about it. But now he's changed his tune. And that is what started to get him into trouble. And, of course, what we also want to see is that is where, with Paul's teaching, Christianity began to separate itself from Judaism. Because you had the people who strongly believed about Jesus Christ and the whole idea of moving in that direction. Then you had the people who strongly believed in the teachings of the Pharisees that emanated from Moses um, and would stay in that position. But that particular belief led nowhere. It had no idea of salvation, and it had, for many people, no idea of life after death. So it was not a way of growing or giving spiritual life. And Paul talks about that in chapter 3 and 4. The whole idea of life, spiritual life, now we're talking about not physical life, but spiritual life through the acceptance and the following of Jesus Christ. And the Jewish law could not do that. So that's where the wedge is beginning to separate Christianity from Judaism. Judaism has never changed. It has only gotten worse. In the 4th century, um, the Rabbi Amonides developed the Talmud the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Mishnah is part of the Talmud. Okay. And it took those laws that were established and are in the book of Deuteronomy particularly, as well as in Exodus, the Ten Commandments, and began to delineate the meanings and the limits that you could go to before you um, sinned against one of these laws. And it only made things worse because that's what modern Judaism follows today, the Talmud. But Judaism today, as well as in Christ's time, has no central creed as to what they believe in. There's no central authority to keep things on the straight and narrow. A lot of people say, well, I don't like all the rules of the church or the curia in Rome. But the purpose of that whole structure is to keep the ship moving on the right path or the right course. Now, justification, if we get off, we have to make adjustments to our course. Yes, sir. You know, when we talk to our friends, we loosely go through this. If they are interested in spiritual growth, we may share this with them, such as Christ was the Son of God. He died for our sins. We we choose him. Um, That makes sense to them. Uh, We go on to say, well, uh, when we go to Mass, it's not to get anything out of it, because we hear so often, well, I don't get anything out of going to Mass. 
and we, we, we turn, well, it's to worship God and pray to God, not what we're going to get out of it, as we just heard in a sermon this month at St. Clair. But the biggest problem that I have found personally is you go through all this, and then they say, well, what about Mary? Well, you know what? That is the biggest obstacle that I have found to explain Catholic <coughs> devotion to Mary. All right. One of the ways to attack that, the Catholic devotion to Mary, one of the ways of attacking that is asking them, what is the fifth commandment? Honor thy father and thy mother. Ask them if they believe that when Christ said to St. John from the cross, Behold your mother. She became the mother of all of us, did she not? The, ten com- uh, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother. Put them two together. That's why we honor Mary. She is the mother of God. If we believe that Jesus was God, then she is the mother of God. She is the mother of the church. And who is the church? All of us. And so by honoring Mary, we are fulfilling not only what Christ said from the cross, but the fifth commandment. Does that make sense? All right. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, now that we've kind of opened the door and scratched the surface, you might say, help us to truly understand what our relationship is with you. And if it is not correct, or if it's not what it should be, help us then to make the adjustment. Because you are our life, our hope, our dreams, our rewards, our all. Give us then the courage and the strength to really make those adjustments in our spiritual life as well as our earthly life. Give us the strength and the courage to always be a faithful, submissive servant. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.